so we are here. It is happening. Thanksgiving is a week away. I cannot believe it. And you know how people who get married always say, we're just going to have like a simple wedding. And you're like, oh, yeah, totally. But you're rolling your eyes because no wedding has ever been simple in the history of weddings, no matter how hard people try. Well, that's kind of how I think about Thanksgiving. So every year in my family, we act like we're just going to relax about it and like not cook all the things. And every year we end up cooking all the things because at the last minute, my mom decides to make the super labor intensive creamed onions or I decide to attempt the like show stopping pie, even though I bake once a year or the turkey is taking too long and we can't get the potatoes in the oven. You get the picture. So in this month's issue of Bon Appetit, our Thanksgiving issue, there is a story called Thanksgiving Simplified. And obviously, I am very intrigued by this. To join us to talk about that story and the recipes in it and just Thanksgiving in general, our Test Kitchen director, Chris Morocco, and associate food editor, Kendra Vaculin. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. What an apt also description of Thanksgiving as I am, as of this recording, six days away from my own wedding. I know. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Thanksgiving and nuptials always go away from you no matter how hard you try to rein them in. By the time people are listening to this, you will have been married. Yeah. It will be over. Crazy. Does that feel relieving? It really does. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So first of all, I want to know what both of your plans are for Thanksgiving this year. Have you made them yet? Probably my parents will come to New York. Ever since my sister moved to New York City and serendipitously one block away from me, they really have no choice but to come to us. What about you, Chris? What do you usually do for Thanksgiving? Well, we used to have this massive family gathering at my aunt and uncle's place in Connecticut of like 25 people, but now everything's gotten sort of broken up. The traditions have changed, maybe for the better. If my mom can't travel, she'll probably join us. I don't know. These days, you got to keep things a bit fluid. Um, But I just have to say, I have actually executed simple Thanksgiving, and I honestly also executed a very simple wedding. (laughs) Okay, flex. Well, let's get into it then. To start off, let's talk about what makes Thanksgiving so complicated in the first place. The answer is you have one oven. (laughs) You have the one vessel that's supposed to cook all the things. That's the first thing I forget is, oh, I want all of these dishes and they all have to be hot at the same time. And every single one of them needs 45 minutes in the oven at a different temperature. And it's like, okay, this is literally impossible and I'll it will never work. Yeah. So many dreams, so few cooking surfaces. <laughs> totally. I feel like we all lose our minds with Thanksgiving a little bit. Because Thanksgiving and the way that we cook on Thanksgiving represents a very clean break with how we tend to cook the 364 Mm. other days of the year. (laughs) We don't make stuffing ever, (laughs) right? Any other time of year. Speak for yourself, Chris. Oh, stop. And I want to see photographic evidence. You want my Tuesday night stuffing recipe? Uh, No, I want your show-stopping pie. I want to see this show-stopping pie, Amanda. It's on (laughs) my Instagram from last year, tahini pumpkin pie. And I have to say, it actually did come out quite well, despite it being the one thing I baked. That sounds lovely. (laughs) No, I hear you. I hear you. I don't make stuffing. So this package, it's not just a series of 
recipes to choose from. It's really a full Thanksgiving game plan. I mean, you can obviously choose to make any one of these on their own or part of a different menu, but really the whole thing comes together so that nothing is crowded on the stove or in the oven, no dish is being rushed at the last minute. And Kendra, since you wrote the recipes in this package, I'm going to have you lead us through with commentary from Chris. Totally. Okay, let's talk about the recipes. The first recipe that jumps out at me, and I'm sure will jump out at a lot of people, are called stuffing biscuits. Yes. I don't, I mean, how, what like stroke of godly genius (laughs) came down on you to arrive at this idea? Well, I definitely wanted a bread. A bread is a very easy place to outsource on your Thanksgiving menu. Please go with God and buy yourself a focaccia from the bakery. But I thought there's a moment for a bready bite. Mm -hmm. That is like so valuable on the plate flavor-wise and also to like soak up all the drippings, all the gravy. Yes, your edible sponge. Totally. So I figured that a bread moment with all the flavors of stuffing would kind of two birds, one stone it, maybe three birds, one stone it, because also the leftover biscuits make really good biscuits and gravy the next morning with your leftover gravy. my God. So So good. I took those herby and allium-y flavors of stuffing and applied them to a pretty classic buttermilk biscuit base. And you've got fennel seed in there and scallion and lots of black pepper and along with these herbs. It's really like a sense memory. When you pull them out of the oven, it smells like stuffing. Yeah. And it's really just this studded throughout the flaky layers. And so at what point in your game plan are you making the biscuits? Is this like a last thing out of the oven kind of thing? Or can you make them ahead or what? I think they're totally fine to make ahead. You can make them in the morning and get them out of the way and set them aside. You could even them do them really far in advance and freeze them freeze and them. then like Ooh. bake them off at the end. Freeze the dough or freeze the finished? I think you could freeze the full finished biscuit and then reheat it again. Just pop them in the oven and bring them to their soft goodness. Okay, great. On to the next recipe. Let's talk about these buttery green beans and mushrooms with crispy shallots. So what is simple about this dish? So this was the green bean casserole in flavors, but done on the stovetop as kind of a stir fry. And this is a blanched green bean. So you've got your crispy shallots that you do first and move them to the side. Then you brown your mushrooms and then you add your green beans to that that you've already cooked. So really you're just heating them through and getting little like blistery moments on them. And then because that's in all this butter that's been browning, it's got this nutty, awesome flavor. And we just finished that with a bunch of parm. And so you've got the Mm. like flavors of that casserole with none of the gloopiness and not that there's anything wrong with that. I definitely have nostalgia for that full-on cream of mushroom situation. Totally. Yeah. I have done Thanksgivings with the gloopy cream of mushroom soup, but what my mom does more often when I was growing up was a stir-fried green bean with bacon. Mm. So that to me was very holiday in my mind because that's like her quick side whenever she's throwing a gathering in the fall or winter. And so this is kind of like a little bit of an homage to that. And if you use a bunch of different mushrooms, this is a fun place to splurge on some fun varieties of mushrooms and you can get really nice crispy edges there. So it's a good textural melange as well. Yes. What's your top mushroom? Oh God. I think it's, that's really tough. I think it's oyster. 
Yeah, same. How about you, Chris? My talkie all the way. Ooh. The chosen mushroom. Wow. You don't bring an oyster mushroom to a maitake mushroom fight, is all I can say. <laughs> what if you want to blend the two in this recipe, though? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think when we were looking for some straightforward approaches to riffs on traditional Thanksgiving dishes, we wanted to make sure we weren't just giving you what you expected to get. Mm. I think it sort of takes your expectations and just kind of gives them a little bit of a jolt. Yeah, for sure. Can you tell I'm doing this in order of like what sounds most delicious to me? Not that I'm playing favorites, but I totally am. (laughs) The turkey is last. Great. (laughs) But before we get to that, I want to play a little game where we spin a wheel of nightmare Thanksgiving scenarios that people might face and get your expert advice. We're going to do two scenarios now. And then when we get back from the break, we'll talk about a few more recipes and then we'll play a couple rounds of this game again. I hope you're ready. Chris, you are up first. Cool. So everything's going great. You cooked everything on time. You go out, you're going to have a little time to chat with the people at your place while the bird finishes cooking. Suddenly you smell smoke. You run back in the kitchen ready to grab the fire extinguisher. Thankfully, it's not that much of an emergency, but your turkey is smoking on top and pretty much burnt all over. What do you do? Mm, Wow. Okay. Interesting. I think most people feel that turkey skin is overrated. You know, I feel like there's the people who want dark meat and then there's the people who want dark meat and skin. You know, it's an ever shrinking sort of group of folks there. I think First of all, you need to figure out, is the turkey done? Because if it's not, you should just drop the temperature and keep going, you know? (laughs) Just go all in. Just keep going. Open up a window, turn on the fan, whatever you have to do. But honestly, just take the friggin' skin off. You'll be fine. It's primarily the breast because of its position towards the top of the oven and its exposure and surface area that is going to be most prone to burning. Most people aren't going to eat the skin anyway. Honestly, by the time you've carved the turkey, you can barely tell it's there. It's going to be fine. Dump gravy all over the white meat anyway. Also, the people who go for white meat already should be expecting a dry piece of meat. So really, they are just getting what they deserve. (laughs) You can tell what side of the dark meat, white meat to be, I'm on. Interesting. Okay, fair (laughs) enough. Okay, so your solution is basically... Sacrifice the skin. This changes nothing. You're still looking for a cooked bird. Mm -hmm. Pour yourself a drink. It's going to be fine. Okay, great. All right, Kendra. Mm. Okay, dinner looks great. Smells great. Everyone's loving the hors d'oeuvres. But then cousin... Julia shows up with a new boyfriend. And then he also brings along three of his friends because they're in town from Germany and they've never had a Thanksgiving Mm. before and they're so excited. But you're concerned about how much food you have left and Uncle Donald is going in for a third helping on those delicious green beans Mm. and you're worried you don't have enough food. So what do you do? Wow, that's hard. If I thought I was running out of food, I would... Okay, well, this is maybe not the correct answer, but what I would do is go into my closet where I keep all of my wine and bring more of that out. (laughs) Step Um, one. Make sure that there's plenty to drink. And then I would send um, 
probably my partner out to go get a bunch of ice cream and I would augment dessert with a bunch of ice cream. There's not really something you can magically make appear that's going to like... You're not going to make a bunch of pasta. Add another dish. No, nothing's going to just suddenly like fill up your table even more. Bring the hors d'oeuvres back out. Go back to course one. Yeah, just just reset to course one. Bring the, <laughs> bring the cheese back out. That's real. At the end of my dinner parties that I throw, people are like, let's get that cheese out again. I mean, cheese is a legit dessert course. Yeah, Absolutely. that can just live on the table the whole time. I think it's a really great instinct to not convince yourself to cook something else because by that point, you're already stressed. You're already tired. And if you're going to be in the kitchen stress cooking something because you don't think you have enough food, you're not going to be enjoying your time at all. Yes. Okay, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we will get to three more recipes from the package, including that sheet pan turkey. I know. Can't believe it. Okay, so got the green beans, we've got biscuits. These are all great classic ingredients with super interesting riffs. Let's talk about this kale salad, which, love a kale salad. What is the simple part of this recipe? To me, I always want a salad on the table, and I thought this was a fun way to use pecans. The real star of this salad is the dressing. That's the thing Mm -hmm. I always make. So I wanted to replicate that nutty dressing that kale can really stand up against because it's so sturdy. This dressing you make in a food processor, but that's it. You put your toasted pecans in there with honey, capers, garlic, and olive oil, and then a little bit of vinegar that you stir in at the end. You pulse it until it's got some little chunky pieces, but also gets really creamy and luscious. And that goes just really nicely over the kale. This is like a low lift salad, but high impact flavor. Yeah, even the dishes without actual butter in them on Thanksgiving should still taste buttery somehow. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about the twice roasted squash with vanilla, maple, and chili, which, oh my God, you need to go look up this recipe. This photo is just the epitome of food porn. (laughs) I hate that phrase, but this is it. Tell me about this one. Yeah. So the simplified nature of this recipe was really in method because I think that a huge issue for people when they're cooking squash is the prep. It's so hard to just hack a raw squash apart and a recipe for cutting yourself with your knife and not the squash. So this sidestepped that whole thing by roasting the squash whole first, which just completely cooks it through as a whole unit and makes it so that you can then tear it apart into these large sort of graphic chunky pieces and then lay those out on your sheet pan inside Mm, up mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. drizzle over them this mixture that's maple syrup, a little bit of olive oil, some Thai chilies, thinly sliced, and some vanilla extract. And that all gets drizzled over the top and then you bake your squash off again. And that just makes those flavors seep into the squash. The whole slices of chili get crispy and kind of jammy and fun from being in the sugary maple syrup and then also in the heat. 
And then you finish that all with sesame seeds. Oh, it's a really fun twist on like that sweet squashy flavor, but without falling into the trap of pumpkin spices. Yes. Which I think is where our minds automatically go. So this just lets you reserve that flavor profile if you want to for dessert. And then in dinner, you can have this other thing that's like still sweet. And you recommend kabocha, but are there other squashes that would work for this? I think an acorn squash would be great here. I think a butternut squash would be great here. The kabocha is really nice and round, so you get those nice big graphic chunks pretty easily. I like kabocha because it's really like kind of, oh, what's the flavor? It's textural. It's sturdier than butternut, and I think the water content is lower, so it doesn't get as obviously watery in the oven. Totally. Yeah, it gets really creamy. So this is another one where you have some make-ahead components, and then do you want to be kind of roasting it off the second time, like right before serving? It doesn't have to be piping hot straight from the oven when you serve it. This is good room temperature because it's sticky and sweet. Yeah. (laughs) You don't need scalding maple syrup. No. And I just want to point out that this recipe has literally, if you don't count salt and olive oil, it has five ingredients. Yeah. So I'm going to skip over the cranberry relish, although it looks delicious. Let's talk about the sheet pan. Sheet pan, let me repeat, turkey, and gravy. Mm -hmm. This is another two-for-one recipe. So we're getting the drippings for the gravy while we're making the bird. Correct. How is this all happening? Um, Speaking of weddings, the number one thing that all my friends have gotten on their wedding registries that they don't need is roasting pans. All of my friends who don't cook at all got roasting pans and are like, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. Under no circumstances will I use this enormous object that I now have to house in my apartment. And it's why I will never own a roasting pan of my own accord, literally ever. And also we didn't do a registry, not only because of the roasting pan, but also out of fear that I would receive a roasting pan. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, we're we're just eloping because otherwise you might end up with a roasting pan. Truly, I cannot be saddled with a roasting pan. It can't happen to me. If you don't need it for your roasting a chicken, you don't need it for roasting your turkey, even if your turkey is Mongo big. And as long as you have a wire rack to set inside of your sheet pan and your sheet pan has a lip around it to catch all your drippings, you can just do it on a sheet pan. Yes. And make sure that your metal rack is oven safe because not all of them are. And we have a great recommendation for one on our site that you can check out. And it is also available in the BA market. It is the Nordicware Baking and Cooling Grid, not Ooh. sponsored. We just love it. Totally. So what what size of turkey is this recipe going to work for? Because I know people find a whole range of turkeys. This one was for 12 to 14 pounders. And I really did test every single weight in that <laughs> range. And I did an 11 just to be sure. <laughs> so that will feed 8 to 10. And how are we doing this in advance? Are we brining our turkey, letting it sit? Yeah. So this one is an overnight slash up to two day dry brine. And it's a really, really simple brine. It's just salt, brown sugar, and smoked paprika. And you just rub that all over your turkey and then stick it in your refrigerator overnight. It's ready to go. And then when you take it out, usually I would recommend to put foil underneath the wire rack when it's brining in the refrigerator so it catches any of those drips because you want that clean sheet pan for when you're catching all your drippings because you're going to use them later to become the gravy. Okay, I want to hear about that. But I noticed this recipe, it cooks for 35 to 45 minutes 
at 400 and then you turn it down and cook it for another hour to hour and a half. Mm -hmm. Okay, so why do people always think turkeys take six hours to cook? I think that's because people cook them at a really low temperature, which doesn't make sense to me. But you're right. The quintessential TV sitcom mom turkey is like they start at 9 a.m. The turkey's in there at breakfast. Exactly. I don't get – I have made this recipe twice in one day. Okay. That is a selling point. The fact that that's feasible should tell you that this does not take very long. Yeah. We need to like dispel the myth that your turkey needs to be in the oven for six hours because this seems like it cooks in less than half the time and you're getting gravy out of it. So where's the gravy coming from? Yeah. So you – Kind of at the bottom of your sheet pan collecting over the course of the roasting time is all of the drippings from your turkey. So all of that lovely fat as it renders out and drips down. Also, you're basting twice throughout your cooking process with butter, just melted butter, basic, but provides a lot of awesome flavor and helps with browning. And and when you set your turkey aside to rest before you carve it, you can lift that sheet pan up and scrape all that awesome goodness into a big measuring cup and collect all of those awesome drippings. You want all of the brownie bits and awesomeness that collects there. Mm. And then just even out whatever you don't have with store-bought chicken stock. You could use homemade stock or turkey stock or what have you. But for ease, store-bought chicken stock is just fine to measure out four cups. Amazing. So six recipes, tons of make-ahead options, One streamlined grocery list with lots of overlapping ingredients. This is making Thanksgiving feel so manageable. Before we move on, I just have to ask, where is the dessert recipe? (laughs) Well, the reason that there's no dessert recipe here is we have a Cheryl Day dessert for Thanksgiving (laughs) package in the magazine. So you have to check that out because honestly, if any parts of your meal deserve not 10 ingredients and actual amounts of time and effort and dedication to make it awesome, it should be the dessert in my opinion. Don't scrimp there. Or make someone else ball out on dessert and bring it. Also yes, also yes. (laughs) Just make sure they cook one of Cheryl's recipes. Don't let them wing it. Yeah, send them Cheryl's (laughs) recipe package. We're going to do a final round of spin the Thanksgiving wheel. Chris, you're up first. So you're doing a Friendsgiving this year. Surprise. All of your guests want to bring something. And you, Chris, being the evolved, not control freak host that you now are, I'm referring back to our dinner party episode about five episodes ago for our loyal listeners. I've already caved. I couldn't (laughs) hold to it. I'm sorry. I'm a monster. Just put yourself in the shoes of someone who's not as neurotic and imagine that you're letting your guests bring a side dish each. But you forgot to really ask ahead of time what everyone was bringing. So now you have 10 different potato-based recipes in your house. God. <laughs> You're so stressed out already. I'm so stressed out. This is like terrible. This is like <laughs> literally horrible. This is why you just do it all yourself. You let people <laughs> bring the wine and the cheese, okay? 
You're like, I'll be hiding in my bedroom. (laughs) Yeah, I will have left by this point. (laughs) This is where Kendra's notion of you need a salad in your arsenal, one that feels festive, not just leaves in a bowl. It needs to be a little bit more substantive than that. Dynamic and impressive. Dynamic and compelling, perhaps. dynamic and compelling. And you have a bright, pickly, wonderful, midwinter shaved salad, you know? Okay, okay. radishes, celery is fair game. You know, the extra celery from the stuffing, you know, throw some dates, throw some sharp cheese in there. Boom. People are putting these things on restaurant menus and charging legit money for them. And this is not rocket surgery. You know, you can make this happen. I believe in you. (laughs) All those rocket surgeons performing surgery on rockets. I've been hanging out with Brad way too long. (laughs) (laughs) I find cans of beans to be really helpful to have around even if you just drizzle a bunch of olive oil and vinegar over them and call them marinated beans as an appetizer or something. Mm -hmm. What do you think about a sudden soup course? (laughs) A sudden soup? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you have some pretty decent quality canned or containered soup in your pantry. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I mean, that is desperation. (laughs) Okay, let's do one more. Kendra, you're going to go. Okay. Okay, so you're doing a riff on potatoes. You're doing Chris Morocco's, one of my favorite recipes that I love to tease him about, burnished potato nuggets. Not my choice of name. Hold on real quick, Googling (laughs) burnished. They're English roast potatoes. You're making these potatoes. They are not mashed. And Aunt Pearl is extremely upset. Mm. She gets there and she is like, I cannot believe you didn't make the mashed potato recipe that I gave you that has been passed down through our family lineage for generations. Mm. And she sort of has a sourpuss on her face all night. What do you do to assuage Aunt Pearl? Wow. I feel like, going to be honest here, I think you gave Chris the easy ones and you gave me the hard ones. (laughs) Yeah, this is brutal. This is brutal. I think I would tell Aunt Pearl that we are starting a new tradition and it is burnished potatoes. She's um, got to get with the program. No, I think it's hard. Do I think you should just mash some of these potatoes and they will have crispy bits in them and they have a tender center and then you can give them to Aunt Pearl? Like, it's true. Maybe. This question is really about your relationship with Aunt Pearl. Yeah, it's how like- do you like her? Um <laughs> If you have done the plate math correctly, there will be something of similar texture because Thanksgiving wants to be mushy. Mm. There will be something like that on your Mm -hmm. table. Mm -hmm. And you can direct her towards the sweet potato casserole or anything else that could be on your table that could err in that direction. Yeah. You can say – this is hitting those notes for you and will be a great base for gravy in the exact same way. And just wait for that pumpkin pie. Exactly. Yeah. This gets at what the heart of Thanksgiving is though, right? We're all creating this meal. Again, one that we do things that we don't do every other day of the year. And to what degree do we need to be beholden to traditions? And to what degree is innovation and evolution welcome? I mean, this is the reason that Thanksgiving can get a bit heated, because there is that tension there. Come on, Amanda, you're about to rebut me here, and I can tell. Chris, no, I'm about to get really sappy. I just want to say that I think most people's attachments, they think they might be about a food or a dish, but really they're about a time in their lives or a certain Thanksgiving that they 
like reminisce about mm-hmm. and want to relive. And so I think honoring that and asking Aunt Pearl about her favorite Thanksgiving memories and getting her back in that space it is that she's looking for with those mashed potatoes is how to make her feel more welcome. That was beautiful. <laughs> I love turning it around and trying to evoke like the memories of the menus past because in my mind, I fully agree. Yes. And I think that that's what your menu really does beautifully, Kendra, is evoke a lot of those classic and familiar flavors that people hold so dearly, but in ways that are going to feel a little bit new and fresh and exciting. So I'm excited for everyone to go check them out. You are both amazing guests. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks both for your great advice. Thank Absolute you. Absolute pleasure. Thanks to Kendra Vaculin and Chris Morocco for providing this entire menu and tips for how to simplify Thanksgiving. The whole package is up on the Bon Appetit website. The link is in our show notes, and it's also in the November issue of our magazine. It's time to start prepping if you haven't already. Give our guests a follow on Instagram. Chris Morocco is at Morocco Chris, and Kendra is at Kendra Kendra Kendra. Yes, that's three Kendras in a row. For Chris and Kendra's recipe videos, check out the Bon Appetit YouTube channel and find all of their recipes and writing on bonappetit.com. If you love the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps keep us food people employed. And you can follow Bon Appetit on Instagram at bonappetitmag and on Twitter at bonappetit. Food People is produced by Bon Appetit in partnership with Pod People. Vishnu Vallabhaneni is our senior producer. Ginny Bloom is our showrunner. Madison Lusby is our production manager. And Morgan Foose and Jessica Jones are our associate producers. This episode was engineered by Trey Booty, and the music is by DJ Newmark. June Kim and I provide editorial direction for the series. Special thanks to Matt Sav, Nico Steele, and Julie Shen. I'm your host, Amanda Shapiro, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.